This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello, you're listening to Beyond the Ballot Box with me, Dashran Johan. Swara Rayat Malaysia, also known as Swaram, recently released their 2022 Human Rights Report. So in light of that, we will be taking a look at the various human rights violations that have occurred throughout last year here in Malaysia and look at the changes that should happen this year and moving forward. Joining me on the show today to unpack everything is Seven Dure Sami. He's the Executive Director at Swaram. Welcome to the show, Seven. How are you? Hi, Dashran. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good as well. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for coming on the show. So, I want to start this conversation by asking you, how would you rate Malaysia's human rights record in 2022 and how does it compare to the previous year? Um, first thing, it is uh, difficult to do a comparison uh, year by year. Uh, but uh, in general, uh, compared to 2021 and 2022, there are some areas that's like uh, lesser uh, cases that we have recorded. So if you wanted to like um, translate that into a, there are some improvement, I can take it as it is. But overall, if you look at the statistic, it's not much difference uh, in terms of um, uh, the numbers that we receive in terms of uh, human rights violation, especially the area that we are working on, the police misuse of power, torture in custody, the use of detention without trial laws, it's more and less uh, same, uh, although there's a little reduction uh, there and here. Uh, but generally, there are a lot of uh, room to improve and you don't see a significant uh, improvement compared to 2021 to 2022 in that uh, context. And another reason why it's also difficult to uh, compare is the government or especially the Home Ministry, right. uh, which uh, the, the overarching body or the governing body for uh, police, uh, prison, and some other uh, human rights related uh, issues and does not provide you annual statistics, which means, for example, if you wanted to compare year to year on in terms of a death in custodies, right? All you need to do is you get your parliamentarian or parliament, a member of parliament who are working on the human rights issue, you post a question through them to the parliament to get those statistics. Right. So that's one area. So you don't get annually. So if like that parliament questions goes in mid of 2021, sometimes you get the uh, numbers for that particular uh, year or half of the year. So you the rest is depends on Swaram's monitoring through media to get the numbers uh, throughout the year. And then we put them in the annual report. Uh, unless there is a, a official statistic come from the ministry every year. So you can do the comparison. Okay, death in custody, it was somewhere 20 uh, in the year of uh, 2015, for example, 2020, uh, 2021. Uh, if it's like a 10 or 12, then there are some reduction. Uh, so you can compare that way. So what is important here is the government have the responsibility, the Home Ministry has the re- responsibility to provide annual statistics on key uh, human rights areas so that we can compare and then we can come to a conclusion. Uh, rather than wasting the time of the parliamentarian to post th- those questions in the parliament and take parliamentary time away solely right. on this. Right. Well, why is this a, a an issue, Seven? Because, um, you know, whether it's um, talking to Suaram over the years or even other, um, you know, human rights groups, we often hear about um, how in Malaysia, one of the big problems 
is there is a lack of really detailed data that people can then use as a jumping off point to then see how we can improve the situation. Why is there a lack of data? Like you brought up some examples, death in police custody, um, you know, various other aspects as well. Why is there a lack of data? What are the challenges that you all face when it comes to trying to gather these data as well? Yeah, for us, the challenge is um, uh, we do the monitoring, media monitoring, unless uh, until it's reported in the media, we're able to pick up or sometimes we receive uh, complaints from the family members. So these are the ways that we get our uh, data and statistics and we produce annually based on those uh, informations. And plus, we, as I said, we have to post the parliamentary questions to get the data. The, 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 the problem here, the big challenge is the commitment of the government or home ministry especially uh probably I, I can't speculate but probably they may think people can uh, will jump into their inaction on certain area, areas if there is no improvement yearly uh, but that shouldn't be seen that way uh, because it is important as you said you provide the data then you see where need to improve and how to reduce those uh, violations uh, numbers on, on in terms of uh, human rights violations that's important so i think uh the the government failed to understand this the government have uh, less political will uh, in these areas uh, to showcase how they can improve uh, on those areas so i don't know who's holding this and who's uh, not uh, agreeable to this uh, releasing uh, data but it it is supposed to be a, a good practice in any countries as well as in other departments that we have a national statistic right you provide annual statistic on those matters and from there there are a lot of people um, come out and interpret and then propose how to improve situation and things have changed things have improved but this particular area it remains that way uh, so that's that's the biggest challenge. Right. Before we get into um, some of the negatives, right, really dive into it, um, were there any positive developments? Um, you know, when you look at it, um, this is a human rights report for 2022. So are there any positive developments that y'all took note of um, as far as human rights are concerned? Okay, um, our uh, monitoring and also uh, documentation mainly focus on civil and political right, and right. then uh, focus area more on the police accountability, uh, gross human rights violation, torture in custody, and all that. So, but in terms of uh, any uh, improvement, uh, one area is that um, uh, the Bukit um, Aman or the uh, police uh, headquarters came out with a special uh, uh, committee. Uh, to come out with a statement every time there's a death in custody. So that death in custody is one of the ongoing issues been highlighted so many times. But in 2022, they set up uh, a special uh, committee under the Jabatan Integrity, uh, JIPS, the Jabatan uh, Integrity in Bukit Aman. So what they do is whenever there is a death in custody, they will come out with a statement. But it remains there. What happened to the investigation, we don't see much. We thought, um, you know, after the failure of IPCMC, uh, then uh, there was a proactive measurement from the government side to come out with this uh, committee to provide statistic and detail about that in custody. Yes, but then what happened was uh, they only provide you a statement whenever there is a death in custody occurred, and then they will say what are the preliminary findings, that's about it. Right. What happened after that, there's no improvement. So although when you see there's a setting up of this is kind of an improvement, but then uh, the ultimate uh, goal should be reduction in the death in custody so that and and what happened the independent investigation of uh, what really happened that was unknown still right i want to circle back to that but before that right um 
something very interesting. Swaram highlighted the climate crisis in your report this year, which is great. Now, some people might wonder, what's the connection between climate crisis and human rights? How would you respond? Okay, that's a that's a good question. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we do is uh, some areas that uh, we think it's important in, in, uh, to highlight uh, uh, in terms of a human rights issue. Uh, we will work with external partners. So some areas in this book, in the annual report, we based on our own uh, monitoring and we write the chapters. Some other areas that we don't directly work with, we'll get the external group who are working on that particular area uh, to be included in as a feature. Uh, and, and one of the feature for this uh, 2022 report is the state of uh, climate emergency in Malaysia. And it was a very good uh, write-up. Groups are working on this. But there is a direct connection, actually. Um, uh, Because the universal recognition of human rights into a right to clean, healthy, and sustainable environment uh, is very important as part of the right to livelihood. Right. So, and you talk about right to livelihood, it involves your environment, your climate, and also uh, your drinking water, your healthy environment, and also sustainable environment. So, what is happening in generally is um, uh, in the name of development and and many areas have been developed. Um, so, it means the, the green is gone. Right. So, when green is gone, there's a direct uh, impact in terms of uh, biodiversity and in terms of uh, sustainable environment as well as um, losing biodiversity and lead to pollution. Uh, even uh, in the report, it says in the resolution in July 2020, the Human Rights Council uh, under the United Nations General Assembly recognized the right, these rights and urged various stakeholders to intensify their efforts. So that's the important to, to get the commitment from the government to ensure there is a sustainability in terms of um, sustainable environment, uh, which lead to a right to livelihood, uh, which have affected uh, life of especially community, marginalized community, for example, uh, indigenous community, you know, residing in the in the in the forest for many uh, years and right. the kind of guardian of the uh, forest, uh, which giving us a clean water and uh, many other uh, environmental related advantages, is slowly going off. So when it goes off uh, in many countries, a similar pattern, similar situation, the big companies coming in and taking up the land for further development without a, a proper sustainable ways. So now it, it is a climate uh, crisis we are facing. Right. And all these uh, environmental issues led to um, uh, what we are um, impacted to the people now. We, we see that coming forth. So it is important uh, for us to know that the climate crisis directly affect um, um, affecting humans' life uh, in a healthier way. Absolutely. Now, switching gears, in your report, you also talk about the application and abuse of laws that violate the right to fair trial and how this problem um, still persists today. Could you expand on this um, to me? Uh, expand on this for me. Uh, what What do you mean by the abuse of laws that violate the right to fair trial? Okay. Uh, in terms of um, when you categorize a, a law mm-hmm. uh, which violate, violate uh, human rights, there are a few uh, important criteria. Uh, one is the universal standard, right? The other one is uh, rights that are guaranteed under the federal constitution. Uh, everyone have the uh, equal right before the law. Right. And then uh, you have the guiding laws, right? Penal court, right? Penal court allow uh, police detain you for 24 hours in the initial uh, arrest, after the initial arrest. And then you 
have to be brought. So the CPC uh, criminal procedure says you have to be, uh, bring the suspect to the magistrate and uh, you put forward your case. The magistrate have the discretion whether to allow further remand for the police to investigate further on that matter. So that's the uh, basic standard, universal, uh, and it has to be that way. So which means 24 hours in the initial investigation and then you uh, convince the magistrate for remand days, three or four days, a maximum of seven uh, days if it's not a, a, a gross uh, crime or, or serious crime. Right. Uh, and then you need to charge someone. So that's the supposed to be the practice. But when we talk about detention without trial, if we can recall the ISA, uh, it allow the police uh, to remand you for 60 days. And then after that, you will be sent to a detention center for two years. So there is, there is no trial. So the fundamental, uh, the criminal justice system, the foundation is a fair trial. Here, you don't allow for a trial at all. So that's right. completely uh, uh, violations. But post-ISA, so we know throughout uh, the ISA years how much it's been violated until the government felt they are unpopular. One of the reasons is using continuous using of the ISA and then Najib's government at that point of time after the election promises, he managed to abolish. But then the pressure from various groups, including police, they need this type of law. Uh, the justification is uh, it's a terrorist-related, it's a gangster-related, it's a network and all that. Uh, and this uh, narration is becoming a, 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 a strong bargaining uh, from the police to the government and as well as the government who failed to see or did not have this political will to look beyond that narration, to look beyond how you able to do this, uh, reducing terrorist-related uh, crimes, uh, uh, organized crimes, uh, beyond these laws. So that's the biggest failure. So they fail to see this beyond those uh, these uh, uh, detention without trial laws. So what we have here now, post-ISA in 2012, the government introduced SOSMA. SOSMA, although the law is not uh, detention without trial per se, but the numbers of remand days are 28 days. The right. police use those 28 days. So that's a lot. In the POCA and POTA, uh, 60 days similar to ISA. So this is where we recorded a lot of uh, uh, torture cases uh, uh, happening. So it's like numbers of uh, remand days increases the torture practice in custody because the police is also under pressure to resolve using this law. And then there's like a force to confess uh, in some cases the initial 48 days uh, incommunicado, uh, so, so on and so forth. And then uh, it is consistently misused uh, using those laws supposed to be a target hardcore criminal uh, in order to prevent, but they also have used against uh, young as 18, 17 uh, from our records, 19 and so on and so forth. Uh, so this law has been continuously using, it's quite sad. And this government, the new government, we are really hoping they look, will look into this and abolish this detention without trial provisions uh, at all. Seven, uh, why does it seem like any administration that comes and goes lacks the political will to really get rid of detention without trial once and for all? Because it seems like always, you know, um, even Pakatan Harapan, um, you know, when, when they're in opposition, you get the sense that this is something that they genuinely want to push and to abolish. But once you become in positions of power, 
then suddenly it becomes like oh we need to uh, you know uh, do some studies we need to look into it first you know maybe we can't do it now maybe later you hear this you know for for detention without trial for many other laws so why is this such an uphill battle why do they lack the political will okay it's all about power and power balance right so what uh, i mean again i can't speculate but what i can see from here Uh, is definitely the lack of political will uh, uh, and also it's not come alone it's also come with a uh, political bargaining so we are not very sure if the government wanted support from uh, certain quarters right uh, they they kind of wanted to bargain certain thing if they wanted to get support from the police side and police may wanted these laws uh, to be maintained so i don't know what is the bargaining here uh, and as you said at one point there were the other side demanding for more transparent more uh, political will uh, wanted to get rid of all this uh, detention without trial law when they came into power you don't see much uh, of they are doing on th- on this area so um it's very difficult to to speculate but the thing is the important part is even uh, when you came into power somehow you many um, uh, somehow whoever you are communicating with managed to persuade you to believe their way so that's the problem here you right. don't want to put the counter argument and then keep on debating about it to make them understand and then find a way how we can manage this how can we reduce the crime uh, without even this loss what are the good practices in other countries what is the way forward you wanted to do and then you put forward a time frame we are not like asking immediately right so when you have this type of a step by step guide i think even that we can accept if you can turn the everything overnight so when we say it is slow there are so many uh, rebuttal um, coming um, coming towards us uh, when we say the government is very slow but anyway uh, even if you are slow if we can understand the process if we can understand your plan then we kind of uh, agreeable uh, if it's agreeable uh, if we you put us in unknown situation of course this is what we're going to do. you committed you promise now you are not delivering we don't see anything is coming but in terms of a sosma there's already a few meetings uh, led by ram karpal the deputy minister right. but even find it difficult to balance from all the stakeholders uh, so probably he taking one or two focus area for example now the biggest demand on sosma is to get bail for the detainees this is also reason because the dates uh, under the sosma 28 days after Uh, the 28 days you need to take a penal code to charge someone but until unless the the, the case heard in the court and the decision made they will be under prison remand which means it's a forever okay if it's a 5 years 5 years they going to sit there and if they the the the, the, the judge found them uh, not guilty they will be released but what happened to the years and then there's an appeal process is also happening so the victims or those who are detained are demanding to have a bail so that uh while the trial goes on they will be out and you know you continue with their work and feed the family and all that and now they are putting a difficult situation to the housewives you know uh, and then pulling them further uh, from their already and the poverty line uh so this <clears throat> need to look in the more holistic way to make every uh Uh, stakeholders to understand and then the process have to take place uh, rather than just take one side of the story and then you are 
come out with the statements, non-committal statements. So that's difficult. So SOSMA, POCA, POTA, not really a concern, but it's the provision still there. But uh, the usage of POTA is much reduced uh, in the past years because POTA is only applied for the cross-border uh, terrorist suspect. Whereas POCA is applies for both uh, terrorist suspect as well as uh, organized crime. So also a lot of um, uh, cases under uh, POCA. Uh, so these are the areas and right. also the question of investigation, you know, how uh, investigation is being done, uh, uh, why you need so many days. And then in most of the cases, they were forced to uh, confess or torture all this. So there are issues uh, floating. You need to sit and discuss and find a solution, find a way, look into the good practices. The civil society have done so many uh, studies. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to like uh, come out with another studies on this enough of studies right alright let's go for a quick break on the show with me today is Seven Dore Sami he's the executive director of Swaram after the break we discuss freedom of expression keep it here on Beyond the Ballot Box BFM 89.9 Welcome back to Beyond the Ballot Box. I'm Dashan Johan and on the show with me today is Seven Dore Sami. He's the Executive Director of Swaram and we're talking uh, or taking a look at their latest human rights report and we're unpacking that. So, Seven, um, there's also the issue of an independent police commission. This is also something you touched on. I'd like you to expand on it because for the longest time, human rights defenders have been pushing for something called the IPCMC. However, what we instead got was the IPCC. Could you explain the difference and also where we are today in terms of holding the police accountable for whatever wrongdoings they may conduct? Now it's May 2023. Right. When we look back, there are so many cases, there are so many unresolved cases in terms of a police misconduct of power, uh, misuse of power, uh, torture in custody, also the disappearance uh, where the Suakam's finding uh, clearly said it act of a special branch of the police and then uh, the police shootings and all that. There is no closure. There's uh, so many uh, cases was not resolved, unanswered. So, so that's the situation where we are now. Uh, but if you look back, um, oh, uh, based on the, um, you were asking questions about the IPCMC, right? Yeah. Uh, the proposal for the IPCMC, the Independent Police Misconduct and uh, Complaint Commission, uh, it's not from yesterday or two years back or five, 10 years back. Right. It's from 2005 after the Royal Commission of uh, uh, Police Inquiry. Uh, uh, the, 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 the important recommendation was to have an Independent Police Commission. So that's 2005, 2015, it's almost 2000. Uh, 25, almost 20 years, right? So we don't see this is coming now. Right. It's still two years before 20 years. So all these years, there is no greater political will. You have a good recommendation. You have a good, uh, uh, a complete uh, guidelines put forward in that uh, bill. You are not implementing it. So you look at the political will. And from 2005, how prime minister have changed. Uh, government have changed a few times, but you don't see a strong political will. But I would say after 2018, uh, there was some development. Mm -hmm. uh, IPCMC, and then uh, there was a process. Uh, 
the initial uh, bill was uh, very much watered down. Then we pushed for the civil society engagement under the former uh, law minister, late uh, uh, law minister. There were a few rounds and then it was sent to the parliamentary select committee under Ram Karpal. And then there was a final bill which uh, was unknown to us, uh, but which we believe uh, could be a better bill because this is based on after the consultation with civil society and other quarters. But then the government collapsed in 2020. Uh, and then, but the topic was still floating uh, uh, under the Perikata National Government, under Tan Sri Muhyiddin, and after that under Ismail Sabri. But somehow, it again watered out very much. Right. Uh, so who had the bargaining there? So the civil society who came together, after that there's no engagement. And then there was like a watered down, then who were calling the shot? So who had the hand uh, in doing this to, to, to right. uh, water down? And that final bill, which was IPCC, they call it IPCC, which was stable when we look into it. There's a lot of lack, a lack of investigation, lack of scope, uh, clear, uh, no clarity, no power, even the some area of power uh, in terms of investigation, uh, investigation, uh, which EIC, the enforcement, uh, the enforcement agencies integrity commission had, was not in the IPCC. So that's a big surprise, big shock. And then the government went on and pushed and passed that bill. So now you are having a bill for the name, uh, for the sake of uh, uh, commission, for the name of, uh, uh, for the sake of name, right? Uh, you right. have a police commission now. But whether that police commission is uh, is independent, able to do to do. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's objective, able to de deliver its objective, all that is in the question now. And then the selection and who are the people going to be uh, in the commission is also a big question. So now, uh, although it was passed, now it's with the current government now, whether this government going to like further amend the IPCC to give some uh, grip or some power better in a, in a better way, to do it or they wanted to continue to implement so that's a, a big question even if it's uh, going to con continue with the implementation then it's going to be a long process to empower that commission itself from the uh, appointments through uh, the powers like house Wakam had in the previous early years uh, right. not so much power but throughout you have to like fight again and again make some changes amendment so long way why you had no opportunity to do it in the first uh, do it in the first place mm -hmm. but then why uh, you need to take so much of years uh, on this. That's the, another area. Absolutely. So let's pivot and talk about freedom of expression. Um, how was 2022 in that regard? We saw, for example, authorities clamping down on Krakow's Comedy Club and its founder, Rizal Van Gezel. This is just one example, but at least from my vantage point, it seems like business as usual in Malaysia. Um, what, what can you tell us about freedom of expression in 2022? Yeah, so compared to 2021 to 2022, there's a significant reduction of numbers in terms of uh, cases. Okay. So in 2021, freedom of expression, uh, I'm talking about Sedition Act, for example, the use of Sedition Act, uh, it was 28. In 2022, it was 17. But nevertheless, there is no uh, a proper plan to abolish uh, Sedition Act. But as you said, it's a business as usual. So there are some cases, uh, similar cases, same pattern. Uh, they've been um, uh, arrested. Uh, you know, uh, the crackdown on the comedy club, as you mentioned, uh, is basically uh, allegedly 
uh, of a racially sensitive nature. Right. So these are the areas like uh, the three R's, you know, racially sensitive, religious, and also the royal. These are the areas it's been continuously being used uh, um, uh, to, to, to arrest someone under this sedition act. Uh, so that's 2022. Uh, I don't see much difference. I don't see much improvement. But in terms of um, uh, uh, charges or uh, charge someone at the court, um, it's also a bit uh, not clear how many have been charged. I know uh, Fami Reza's case, one, uh, there's one case uh, found guilty uh, under the uh, Sedition Act. Uh, but you don't see a clear um, mandate from that government, 2022, I think, uh, uh, under uh, Ismail Sabri, right. uh, in terms of how to improve freedom of expression, how to give more uh, uh, voices to be heard, uh, or abolish Sedition Act, or take out the 233 uh, under the Communication Multimedia Act. All this is 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 was not there, and uh, it's definitely a business as usual during the time 21, 22, at that time. So now, in we are moving into 2023. Right. Uh, the Unity Government. You know many of the members of Parliament with the Unity Government, and some of them are Minister and Deputy Minister now were campaigning against Sedition Act at one point of right. time and position. And they also they were many of them also were subjected to investigation under the Sedition Act as well. Uh, on top of uh, us civil societies and many other uh, groups. So they were part of the campaign against Sedition Act. Now they are in power. And uh, when we ask about what is the plan on Sedition Act, it's not on the table yet. So that's not the answer we wanted to hear at this point of time. Right. So, yeah, moving forward, we need to intensify on that area because freedom of ex expression is a fundamental right uh, for the people of a country to express freely uh, in terms of um, uh, the government, uh, the, the general political issue of the country. Do you get the sense that whoever comes into power don't want to abolish um, the Sedition Act because we've seen this many times, even with Harapan 1.0, um, we hope that things, it's still early days, so we hope things change. But even with Harapan 1.0, you know, you have people who championed on the platform of abolishing the Sedition Act and so on and so forth. But when you come into power, that doesn't uh, happen. Is there a sense that you get that, that it doesn't happen because now that a different group of people are in power, they are making calculations and seeing, okay, if our political enemies say anything, we can have use these laws against them, like just like how the laws were used against us when we were in opposition. Do you get that sense? Uh, definitely, but if I wanted to go a little bit further into it, try to understand... Um, why it's happening. It's also a bit um, uh, shocking. It's either when you are in opposition, uh, you miscalculate and wanted to abolish the sedition because you are on the, the other end receiving right. hand. When you are in power, either you are doing the same calculation to to uh, for your advantage and stay on in power. So it can be either way, right? Right. So, but again, uh, during the Pakatan Harapan uh, first term 1.0, uh, there was uh, some engagement with the civil society under the communication minister at that time. Uh, some difficulty in terms of addressing the issue of the 3R question is a bit sensitive within the uh, 
uh, government was highlighted. Right. But there was uh, some plan to work around that, whether abolish sedition and then uh, address this issue under the penal code, which already have the provision. Yep. Or if there is a lack of provision in the penal code, just empower the prison, uh, penal code. But sedition uh, can go. So that's that's the impression we got in the initial engagement uh, during that time. So, um, so the understanding was uh, they need a little bit more time uh, to resolve this before abolishing. So we, we had the impression that uh, the abolishment of sedition is coming that time. But here, PH 2.0, you don't see this is coming. You not even in the table yet. So that's very sad. That's that's now you have to do a conclusion that oh now they are in power. They try to like do the calculation and if it's going to backfire them, they're not going to do and uh basically it's going to be an hypocrite uh way of doing things. Seven, you have done you know engagements um, on this issue over the years do you get a sense that different political parties have different stance on this issue in the sense that for example you know pass might be might feel one way about the issue about the about the laws amno might feel one way about the laws dap might feel one way pkr might feel one way I, i'm wondering that because now we are in a in a hodgepodge sort of government of you know, um, different people um, who may not be aligned working together in, in, a, in a coalition, mixed coalition government. I'm wondering if there could be genuine challenges, ideological challenges um, that, that make, make it difficult to abolish the Sedition Act. Or is it, um, based on your analysis, simply a matter of power and political will in the sense that, you know, when I'm in opposition, of course I want it abolished. When I'm in government, you know, it could benefit me, so I don't want it abolished. Uh, how do you see it? Mm, no, I agree there is a dynamic into it, right? Uh, some people, some uh, parties uh, may take a different uh, position. Uh, this is not a, 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 a one party collision. One, right. uh, it's not a collision. It's a collision of collisions, right? What mm. we have now. Yeah. So there will be a even if it's one collision. There will be a issue uh, in terms of a different ideology and different position. But now we understand unity government is cut across uh, pH. So there will be a, a different position as well. But what is important here is um, now they are in the government. They are in power. Uh, and this uh, sedition can apply to the opposition as well. The government can use the, the sedition act to the um, uh, opposition. So there, there need to be an open dialogue uh, among the member of parliament, cut across party, to see why uh, sedition is against the fundamental rights on freedom of expression. Uh, and 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 our current government, from the previous uh, government, they already a member of human rights council. Uh, in in Geneva, right. So that's an example they wanted to showcase. They are committed to human rights and showcase uh, Malaysia is a is a country uh, uh, improving in terms of uh, human rights and freedom of expression. Then back in Malaysia, you cannot contradict that position. Back in Malaysia, you need to like showcase uh, uh, what you are preaching outside Malaysia. Right. And it is important to convince the parliamentary uh, select committee uh, or the parliamentary uh, committee, which uh, comprises of all parties' uh, representative, talk to them, have an engagement, highlight the issue, what is their real concern, why uh, some wanted to retain sedition and some go on. Then you narrow down the issues. And for example, if there is a question about only 3R, if we can openly criticize government, then the sedition can go. 
the three R question can be addressed under the penal code. Right. So whether they are they are understand first thing whether there is a proper engagement with all the quarters. Uh, when the government, when the people in the government now, when once they were opposition, this was the demand from them to the government, saying that engage with us. Uh, let's talk about sedition and uh, we want the sedition to be abolished. So, but then there was no engagement uh, open that time. So now you are in a position to do so. You can open up uh, that engagement, cut across the party, li listen to other quarters, and then you find a way how we want to do it. Uh, if there are genuinely some areas that need to be addressed, then how we can address uh, and then how we want to do like I get rid of some other areas that uh, we it's no more relevant in this informative uh, uh, era. Right. All the information is easily to get. So why you need to have this sensitive law? Right. So that there's many issues, many human rights uh, violations that have occurred. Um, you know, when we look at 2022. Um, so, and, and you know, y'all have broken things down in a really in-depth manner. If you can go um, to Swaram's website and check out the, you know, the details of the Human Rights Report of 2022. But, you know, as we slowly wind down this conversation, Seven, I also want to look to the future. What are your goals for the remaining months of um, 2023, goals for the government? What are the key issues that you're keeping a close eye on what policies do you hope to see get passed this year? Um, in terms of the area, we are still uh, looking into police accountability, misuse of power, right. you know, the closure to enforce disappearances. Uh, there was a SWAKAM finding and after that, the government formed a task force and what happened to the task force, what is the finding of the task force, where is the closure on the uh, case of Pastor Raymond Ko, Amri Chemat and then uh, Sitapu and uh, the other one, uh, Roof as well. So that's no closure. We wanted to find uh, some answers to that. So these areas and also there are police shootings. So this one area mm -hmm. we are looking at the government, hopefully the government take this matter seriously so that history doesn't repeat. Uh, when you put certain policy into implementation now, uh, it will be able to improve the situation. If you don't do anything, then it's going to be the same uh, thing, business as usual. Right. So in term, the other one is in terms of a torture. Uh, in our one of the early statements after uh, the uh, uh, Dr. Sri Anwar Ibrahim came to power, PMX, we said, remember your, red, uh, your black eye. Right. Uh, this is because he was on the other hand, on the receiving hand, he was tortured in custody and they used detention without trial law against you. So now you were a victim once. So now uh, you are in the power. So there are certain policies you can immediately implement. You don't have to do research. You already experienced that. Uh, torture in custody is still rampant, uh, especially uh, when they use detention without trial. Though numbers of uh, remand is very um, uh, high numbers, like uh, 28 days under SOSMA, 60 days under POCA. So there's a uh, practices. So all this need to be reduced. And our commitment to the international conventions uh, in the region, uh, in terms of... Uh, uh, civil and political uh, rights, International Convention on Civil and Political, Inter International Convention on uh, Economic and Social Cultural Rights, Convention Against Torture, Convention Against uh, the, the Disappearances and all this. We never committed, we never signed this ratification, many. So we kind of on the lowest in the region compared to uh, Philippines, uh, Thailand uh, or Indonesia. We are kind of like a same uh, with Singapore. Uh, Brunei at the lowest. Now we are sitting in the Human Rights Council. We need to like ratify that one area so that can be done. Uh, if not all, you start with torture, 
stand with enforced disappearances on this area or civil and political rights. Uh, uh, but in terms of a freedom of expression, sedition need to go. So these are the some areas that we are looking forward. Uh, and beside the, the, the revamping parliamentary system, revamping the judicial system in certain areas, uh, uh, and uh, yeah, uh, um, these are the main uh, focus that we will be continue to push the government to have a uh, engagement, civil society engagement, as well as uh, to have a policy change uh, within the government. Today, uh, we had a discussion uh, with uh, Law Minister Azalina on the Ombudsman. Right. So that's going to be, there's uh, already engagement, but there are issues that we highlighted in terms of a power uh, of this Ombudsman. So you Sorry, for, for, for the benefit of those who may not know, what's the Ombudsman thing about? So ombudsman is a, is a, is a, is a, like a setup of a commission, but uh, looking into the complaints on the civil society. It's a replacement for the uh, Jabatan Pengaduan Awam, the public office complaint right. Uh, department, right? So there will be a commission setup. There will be a ombudsman uh, setup to investigate uh, and look into the matter and resolve uh, the issue related to uh, public officers and enforcement agencies. So that's uh, also engagement is ongoing. But most important here is those uh, entities need to be independent uh, and as from, from their investigative power, uh, their recommendation need to be taken seriously, not like SWACAMS. So many years, their recommendation still uh, in the annual report not uh, implemented in the parliament, although some of them, yes, but it remains, uh, the large recommendations still remain there. So you you you, you can have an ombudsman, but if it's not have the investigative, greater investigative power, uh, like a, visiting uh, uh, officers that have been under complaint, uh, spot check, right? Uh, and then when you come out with a recommendation after the investigation, the recommendation cannot be just parked as a recommendation and then it depends on the government whether it can implement or not. So then it's not serving the purpose. Right. So these are some issues we highlighted on the Ombudsman today's meeting. So we wanted to see the change is coming. It's just not like IBCC, you know, you have a commission set up, you have an Ombudsman set up, but then in terms of a translating those entity into a real uh, power a real independent uh, commission and then translate it into bringing a change if that's not happening then what is the point you are coming up with this uh, entities these commissions thank you so much for joining me today all right thank you dashan that was Seven Duray Sami. He's the Executive Director at Swaram. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashan Johan and this has been Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.